0: Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmaty.com. Hey everyone, Lisa Tamati here at Pushing the Limits. Welcome back to the show. Super excited to have you with me. Before I get to today's guest, uh, if you've got any questions about any past episodes, if you want to reach out to us, please make sure you do. And if you're needing help with any health uh, journeys that you're on, if you want to understand your genetics better and how to optimize your health, then come and check out what we do at our flagship program, our epigenetics program. You can head on over to lisatamati.com, hit the work with us button and you'll see our peak epigenetics program. Um, as on that point too, I also do a lot of uh, motivational and corporate speaking. If you need a speaker for any of your events, please reach out to me. I talk all around mental toughness and resilience and dealing with stress and uh, pushing the limits and taking on massive challenges and overcoming obstacles and all that sort of good stuff. So if you're interested in more there, you can also head on over to lisatarmati.com and hit the work with us button and you'll see the speaking services there. Today, I have Dr. Cal Freed. Now, he is in Melbourne and Dr. Cal is a specialist in pain management. He is also an experienced sport and exercise medicine physician. He's worked with a lot of elite level uh, teams in the AFL and in soccer and netball, uh, et cetera. But he's done a really deep dive into the world of pain. And he's part of something called the Pain Revolution. And he educates people around dealing with chronic and persistent pain and what you can do. Outside of just taking uh, painkillers, what you can actually do to help yourself and to help you retrain your brain to understand how your brain affects your your body and and vice versa. So a really interesting um, episode with Dr. Cal, and I do hope you enjoy it. So before I head on over to the show, just a reminder to check out our longevity and anti aging supplement NMN. You can hit head, head over to NMNbio.nz. NMN. It's hard to say that three times in a row nmnbio.nz and check out the supplement by Dr. Alina Seranova there molecular biologist um, which activates the sirtuin genes which are the longevity genes in your body and increases the pool of NAD uh, if that all didn't make sense to you um, head on over to the site and you'll read a lot more about NMN and how powerful it is for turning back the clock and slowing down the hands of time, so to speak. Right, over to the show now with Dr. Cal Freed. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Today, I have Dr. Cal Freed with me, uh,
1: sitting in Melbourne, I believe. Is that right? That's correct. Sunny Melbourne. It's sunny at the moment.
0: Sunny Melbourne, and uh, we've just been commiserating over lockdowns because we're in a level four. And <laughs> the said you've been in in and out of one for the last year, so you guys have had it rougher than we have, that's for sure. How yeah. are you doing over there at the moment?
1: Uh, look, I'm I'm personally doing okay. I'm fully vaccinated, and uh, I sort of have a, a, you know, I'm okay with work and, and things like that. But there are people people really struggling, so I'm mindful of that.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a hard time for, for, for many, many people. Now today we're going to be diving into the topic of pain, and you might think, "Oh, that doesn't sound like a very fun topic," uh, but it's a very important topic. And I wanted to to learn from you today because you're an expert in pain. You've got an exercise, uh, and uh, you're a medical um, practitioner, but you have had a focus on exercise science, I believe, and and um, all of that sort of stuff. But you've gone really deep into the world of understanding pain. Can you just give us a little bit of a synopsis on? Your career and what you what you've done to date.
1: Yeah, uh, just a brief uh, idea of my background. I'm a what we call a sports and exercise physician. In fact, the college uh, spans across Australia and New Zealand. There's some terrific practitioners down uh, in your part of the world as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, so I was I was uh, very much involved in in. You know, looking after the medical needs of athletes, and and uh, and then in my clinic, I'd just see regular people who played sport and and people who didn't play sport, just who got injured and had pain. Um, and and I, I look at that, that was a, that was fantastic. I enjoyed that immensely. But I suppose there was always this nagging question that I, I I struggle with, and that's that you know it was really the injury that really predicted the outcome. You could get very minor injuries with really terrible outcomes, and you get really uh, amazingly terrible injuries with with good outcomes. And so I, I couldn't quite uh, figure that out and I didn't feel comfortable with a lot of that. And fortunately, I, I was I was exposed to an area of science which which wasn't really taught uh, when I was in medical school. If it was, I was asleep in that lecture. But then if I was asleep, a lot of other people were asleep too because it seems that very few people in my of my um, uh, vintage sort of uh, fig- figured that out as well. So, uh, and, and that's the science of pain itself and how it all works. And, and 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 once you delve into that, it really starts answering a lot of these questions and it's like a rabbit hole. You keep going and the more you go, the more fascinating it becomes. We've got a lot more to learn, but the, some of the fundamentals of that science really start to explain uh, the things that I couldn't I couldn't understand and and that was that was good that led me on a journey I'm involved with this group now called the Pain Revolution I've got a, it's behind me the emblem mm-hmm. uh, and I urge people to have a look at that website because it uh, pretty much en- encapsulates where I am these days
0: Fantastic so that's uh, we'll put that in the show notes um so painrevolution.com.au I'm presuming No no
1: uh, painrevolution.org .org, .org.
0: Okay, we'll put that, make sure that the team get that right. Um, okay, so let's dive into this a little bit. So a lot of people have an injury, have, you know, for the want of a better example, they get a, a, a sore back or they've injured themselves while lifting something or, or playing sport. Why is it just not a mechanical thing? Like we think that pain is the cause by a structural damage. Um, in which it in, is in, in many cases. But why is it a, a bit of a simplistic look at pain? Is it, is it a bit more complicated than that?
1: Look, it's complicated. It's certainly very complex, but it's also the fundamentals are actually quite simple. Um, but they're hard to get your head around because we don't grow up thinking this way. We grow up thinking exactly the way that you just mentioned, that pain is a mechanical thing. It's it's uh, It's created by injuries and damage to our bodies. Uh, things we see on scans, but that's not actually the case. Um, uh, the fundamentals are quite simple: that, that that our bodies do not produce pain ever. And I'm I'm not just talking about injuries; I'm talking about headaches, uh, stomach pain, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of things. Um, it's the the body only ever produces electrical signals, mm. and and these signals get picked up by by sensory nerves. Uh, and these signals get transmitted through the spinal cord to the brain. And, and, and then the brain lights up um, in all sorts of different interesting ways because of a lot of preconceived ideas and, and contextual influences and sociological influences. And you get a pain response depending essentially on how much danger your brain thinks you're in. Wow. So this, this is a protective system. This is This is designed to protect us. And you know it, it can it can be quite proportional to the injury you have, but it doesn't it 's not always proportionate, and sometimes it 's very disproportionate and We can all think of examples like that uh, anyone who has had involved involvement with football teams or, or sporting teams will know that anyone who watches the Tour de France will know that people have these horrendous injuries uh, and and at that level they probably don 't get enough pain for their protective needs because they keep going. Mm. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's you know the situation where you just have a minor um, lifting injury. It can be just a bending event, and, and that sets you up for pain for the rest of your life. And we know people like that. They're quite common, unfortunately. Yep. And there's everything in between. So it's a spectrum. Um, so I like to think of of pain in terms of not causes, but but con- contributors. So the, the physical side is important. It's not that it's not important. It's just it's only one contribution of many, uh, and that that applies equally for acute pain, like when you break a leg, or for chronic pain. Acute pain: if you've broken your leg, but a car's about to run you over, you you'll get up and probably walk away without feeling that leg for a little while. Wow! And, and there's some examples of that. There's two people have had to. You can look these people up on the internet. One of them. Uh, Turned into a a book and a movie for for people who've cut their arms off to save their life. Yes, I know the story. Yeah, there's one. There's another one actually. He was in in the cellar of his house and he couldn't he couldn't get help. And both of them say exactly the same thing, and that's that they were amazed how little pain they got. Wow! And they're cutting that. Think of this. They're cutting through muscles, nerves, bones, and because they're in a survival context their brains essentially shut out that, a large amount of that pain because it wasn't in their, in their survival interest. And that's essentially how pain works. So there's these extreme examples that we can learn from. But really, if, if, you, if you then apply them to the everyday examples that we see all the time, it starts to make sense. Things start to, uh, you know, to sort of fit into place.
0: This really fascinating. I had a um, Richard Little. He's the uh, the founder of a company called Exsergio and this is a, a he's he's an engineer, but he the the company is working on. Um, uh, Computer brain interfaces, if you like, that help with pain modulation, and so this is a, a really cool um, piece of technology that's not yet on the market, but he's bringing that to market in the next uh, year or so. And it's looking at training your brain to not feel the pain anymore. I'm probably butchering his his description of it, but basically, you're playing a video playing a video game. And you, you it's reinforcing all the things that do to stop the pain. Yeah. Um so it's reinforcing all these neural pathways in your in your brain to actually stop you experiencing it and it's rewarding the behaviors that lessen the pain, from what I understand. So in other words, it's not just it is very much about how we we understand it. I also heard a, a story of a of a man who was in a construction site, fell off a first floor or something, hit the ground, and a nail went up right through his boot. Do you know that story? I bet
1: you do. Yeah, that's, yep. that's a uh, that's that's a story that was written up uh, in a medical journal quite a long time ago, uh, and and. There's a there's a there's a photo from that actual event of the of the nail in the boot. Um, I, I use it in talks and it, it does the rounds quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and and essentially, this. Do you want to tell the story? No, you tell I?
0: the story. You'll be better at it.
1: Essentially, what happened was uh, when the when this fella fell, the nail went through his boot, and he was howling in agony and uh, had to be given. He t- he was taken to the uh, emergency department. He had to be given. All sorts of really strong medication just to take the boot off. And when they took the boot off, they found that the, the nail hadn't in fact gone through his foot, it had just sort of gone gone in between his toes. Wow. Uh, and so the visual the visual sort of uh contribution uh in that case was was huge and, and this person was in, in extraordinary pain. Uh but once obviously that he realized that the danger wasn't what he thought it was. Uh, everything settled down quite quickly. There's actually another, another, um, I, I call it the tale of two nails because there's, a, there's another interesting nail story that was written up in a, in a magazine somewhere. And it was a fellow who was, uh, um, operating a nail gun. Mm-hmm. And the nail gun went off suddenly and he got a bit of a fright, but he, he looked around, he couldn't see anything wrong. So he just kept going. He, he kept, uh, going for a week. He kept working. And he, he went to his dentist because he had a bit of a toothache. And when they took an x-ray, the nail that he thought had, had, you know, just gone off somewhere had gone up through his palate into into the front of his... Oh, uh, my God. ...into the front of his face. And he hadn't <laughs> so, felt it because he and, didn't, and, wasn't aware of he, it. Exactly. Because there wasn't, wasn't that awareness, he... he he didn't get enough pain for for his situation, I suppose.
0: Wow! So these are you know two opposite sides of the of the of the spectrum here, and, and people are probably thinking, oh well, that guy was just a tough ass, and the other guy was probably a wimp. But it's it's a bit more complicated than
1: that, isn't it? Is there is? Yeah, a... yeah. I, I don't like that conversation of no. pain thresholds and people being soft or weak. I, I've seen some, you know, I've seen some situations involving. People who, who were elite athletes, but you know the circumstances of your of of their lives changed, and I suppose it's a bit like cricket. Sometimes you just have to get the timing right, and the ball sails over the fence. Um, so yeah, I mean you, you you can just have a few things going on in your life that are perhaps affecting you that that um, that you're not aware of, even some stresses, some fatigues. Now with COVID times, I suspect uh, this is going to going to probably. Result in, in some serious, uh, persistent pain, you know, contribution wow. the next, over the next period of time, because everyone's under so much stress. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's just, uh, it's, it's contextual. It's, it's got very much to do with our beliefs and our expectations. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, um, I think it's just important to understand this stuff. You mentioned before about some of the technological advances. There's some fantastic things going on, but what we found is, is by just getting people to conceptualise their pain properly, we can make a difference.
0: Yep, and to be able to understand where it's coming from and, and, and taking control of, of those some of those pathways. Because you know, like um, my background is, a, is an ultra marathon runner, so you know, doing extreme endurance races for 25 years, and people seem to think that you have a really high pain threshold. Yeah, and uh, while that may be true in some aspects, in other aspects, I'm a complete like, I you know, <laughs> can't handle it. Can't handle the pain. Um, and so there's different types, and I think you're right on the on the uh, on the money when you say like the times when I've been in an even more pain than I could cope with. Have also been times when I've been under a hell of a lot of stress, and would have a lot less resilience for for whatever reason because I'm dealing with a whole lot of stuff going on or something's happening. And then you, you, your perception. I mean women will know this at different times in the cycle, they're more likely to be you know, feel a bit more vulnerable and a bit weaker and a bit more teary and a bit more prone to feeling more pain than at other times of the month. Is that a thing? Is that a, Is that a? you know, are we very much susceptible to all of the, the inputs in our environment and not just the actual you know, the nail going through the boot in this case or you
1: know. Yeah, look, that's definitely a thing. I think I think the, the, the best model I I think exists for understanding pain is that any time we feel pain, and for that matter, all the sensations we feel, which are essentially produced by our brains, uh, there's a lot of things going on at the same time. Some are recognisable and some are not recognisable. There's a hell of a lot that are under the surface that we really can't even perhaps, uh, you know, recognise or acknowledge. Um, so I, I think... I think you you can You can make it so complex that it's it's almost a bit scary, but I think just accepting that it's that there are lots of things involved i think helps a lot i know, i know, I know personal experiences it's helped me um, and if I can get my patients to sort of come along this road and understand that, then they start to change their responses change and and uh, they're less likely to get that terrible persistent pain problem where where the neurological system just creates pain for you for very for very little contribution from your body uh, from your body tissues and and that we call that sensitization when pain persists um, it takes a lot less uh, contribution from the physical component to produce uh, you know the same pain and sometimes no contribution at all and people remain in pain the injury could have healed years ago and 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 the pain sticks around so I wow. think it's really important to understand that this is a multi factorial uh, situation all the time uh, not uh, you know in, in the acute phase and also in the chronic phase
0: Wow. so that's in other words say say you hurt your back and you know you've got a mechanical problem there and you have then a chronic after a while that develops into a chronic pain pathway so you your your body's sending these signals even though now the the back is actually healed, but you're still receiving the signals. You're still, is it like almost a habit that the body's got into? that you've just like with habits that you do, the first time you do it, it takes quite a high threshold to actually do the action that you're wanting to take, and then you do it every day and it gets easier and easier and easier. Is it the same sort of thing that's going on with pain pathways, that it becomes just very easy to trigger that pain if you've had that very often or, or,
1: or persistently? Uh, yeah, absolutely. A bit, and not, not only uh, is that the case, but it's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, there's some really interesting uh, work done where, where we, we've looked at the way that the nerves behave, the, the nerve pathways behave, and this sensitization, you know, is quite a real thing. We know what happens at the neurotransmitter level, um, but essentially, in, you know. F- for us to understand is that your, your brain just develops a direct channel uh, to that area and any any tiny uh, contribution starts to get amplified. It's like having, having a little noise next to a big amplifier um, and this just gets stuck. Um, there are certain medications we can use to help people to as a circuit breaker for that, but that, mm-hmm. the medications are not really the treatment. The treatment are to develop other habits and other practices that, that help you change that that pathway and, and desensitize it. So it becomes sensitized. You need to aim to desensitize it, and and there are ways of achieving that.
0: Wow. So, um, like, I'll give you an example. I recently went through shingles. Bloody awful thing. Um, don't recommend anyone do getting that. Um, I would have, um, during the day, I would have pain, but I could handle the pain. At nighttime, I was just like beside myself sometimes. The pain was just so bad and it would, you know, I'd be unable to sleep and unable to, you know, do anything. I was in such a bad state. Um, I would get up in the night often and go and have a nice cold shower on the, on the affected area. And that gave temporary relief for about 10, 15 minutes. And my thinking was, and I don't know if this is right, but this is just me being a biohacker who's always testing things out, um, um, broke the circuit of that pain because then I was focusing in on the the freezing cold, and it seemed to stop – the pain for a little while and then it would come back after a half an hour, but I'd get sort of a half an hour a reprieve. It could be because of the cortisol response that I've just caused and the adrenaline response from the cold water. I'm not sure what's going on there, but it, it was effective and it did help me at least temporarily get on top of it. And my thinking was I didn't want because I didn't want to have painkiller after painkiller after painkiller um, and they weren't working anyway um, it, with, with this sort of a, a nerve pain. Was that, a, was that a, a, a good intuitive thing to be doing?
1: Absolutely. Uh, look, you've touched on a few, few things there. I hope I remember them. But the first one was the, the, of the, the, the role of distraction. Um, and that's a real thing. One of the problems at nighttime is that we, we lack distraction. And so there, there's, there's often a higher pain experience at night. That's quite common. Uh, that also leads to sleep. Uh, disturbance, and we know that the more fatigued we get, uh, that's also a uh, negative contribution to our pain condition. So there's a whole lot of things, and, and, and persistent pain itself will fuel itself because the, the more it sticks around, the more worried we get and the more concerned. Uh, and, and it's just such a horrible experience, as people who've had it know. Uh, so it's sort of it's like a vicious cycle, it just keeps going round and round. Um, so yeah, so distraction is important. We use that in, in, in treatment processes as well. Uh, there's a whole lot of probably, uh, chemical and, and, and you know, and, um, hormonal things that are going on and you, you, you correctly mentioned that. Uh, but, um, at the end of the day, I think, I think a lot of people will develop a lot of intuitive strategies just like you have. Um, so that, that's absolutely right. What you said, uh, very very important part of treatment and you can only really explain that by understanding the pain science the way we discussed it before
0: so if in 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 you mentioned their neurotransmitters and i and i talked briefly there about you know cortisol and adrenaline can you by manipulating the neurotransmitters in play actually manipulate the the pain experience you know, like, like, like the example that you gave of the person who's, you know, going to get run over by a car if they get, don't get, even though they've got a broken leg, they'll get up and go and they won't feel it because the danger and the adrenaline is running so high that they will take action before they'll actually feel that, that pain. Um, is there a way to use that knowledge to help people who are experiencing sort of chronic pain, like manipulating neurotransmitters in that way?
1: Uh, not sure w- what you mean by there's w- when we change people 's behaviors and their concept and their conceptualizations and and get them to do what I call a readaptive program, then those neurotransmitters will change right um, so that that 's I suppose a natural way of doing it because yep. uh, the neurotransmitters are very responsive to our thoughts our actions um, in that way, uh, in terms of external manipulations by giving people uh, medications and drugs. Yeah, well. not so much
0: that, but, you know, like behaviours like the ice-cold shower, so behavioural yeah. things that yeah. we can do to help, you know, uh, because cause things like adrenaline do dampen the the pain response or endorphins. Like I know from running that if I've got pain, usually say I've got a sore leg and I go running, the first 10 minutes will be excruciating. So I've got blisters. That's a really good example. Because I yeah. had a, a ton of blisters in my life, right? <laughs> when you had a break, you'd have the blisters, be painful. You'd start running again, the blisters were excruciating. After 10 minutes, you stopped feeling them. Yeah. Um, and, and then I sort of thought that that must be the endorphins or, or something kicking out and the, that are actually dampening that pain response
1: because the mechanical damage is there. It's no different. Brilliant. That's exactly right. You, you, we've got what we call a drug cabinet in our brains. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so all, all the medications that we give, I mean, we've got a big problem with prescribing morphine containing medications, but our brains contain uh, morphine type chemicals, uh, endorphins, and others. So, um, yeah, so it, it, if we can, if we can, um, harness these processes and get our own brains to produce the right chemicals for us then that's absolutely uh, achievable um, one of the problems with that condition called pain sensitization that I mentioned before and that's when your pain becomes really easily provoked and and it's there all the time and it's is that it becomes also uh, quite resistant to medication so I, I've seen people on On absurd doses of medication and all sorts of different medication. And, you know, their pain goes from whatever it is. They might say 10 on 10 to seven on 10. Well, that to me is not a, not what you'd expect, not what you'd expect from that, that type of uh, medication. So uh, that, that pain is resistant and that's quite common. And so one of the problems in that situation, if you go and see the people who just keep giving you different medications all the time and they're not twigging onto the fact that your pain is actually resistant, uh Then that takes you down a road that's not helpful for you for quite a while, and it's hard to come back
0: yeah and it's very bad for your you know like we know. The consequences of the opioid addictions we, we hear what's happened, especially in America, with the overprescription of opioid medications, and um, they all have knock-on they all have knock-on effects. Even the the anti inflammatories that you buy over the counter are going to impact your liver and you know your health of your body in general over time, your gut health. Um, so that's not a path we want to be staying on for very long and so anything that we can do but you know having having been through like this recent experience with the shingles you know it, it puts um, it makes you very compassionate for people that are going through chronic chronic pain for, for years on end it's just like you know, it's it's hardly worth living when you're in that much pain and you can see how people must be struggling to to cope and, and function. Um, and when it goes on for a long time as well, then the people in your environment become numb to you moaning about it you know there's another aspect as well because you know hearing about you you know you and your pain every day is they not you know people are just going to stop responding and that makes the whole load even worse because then you've got no outlet to you know voice your discomfort that you're that you're going through is that a, is that a real thing too do you see that oh, just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast now if you enjoy pushing the limits if you get great value out of it we would love you to come and join our patron membership program we've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air it's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way but to do that we We need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on com. That's patro com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we, we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us, everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the Strength Guide for Runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries, and much, much more. So check out all the details, com, and thanks very much for joining us.
1: Look, as I said before, there's, there's so many vicious cycles in pain, um, and that's one of them. I, I think one of the problems with pain is that, uh, please don't take this wrong, but it's it's not sexy. Uh, yes. That's how I describe it. Like, if you've got, um, something else like, a, a diabetes or, or, you know, some other sort of chronic disorder, then I, th- I think the, the compassion you get and the empathy you get from people is pretty endless. Uh, but if you've got pain, it's, it's very limited. You, you, and, and you get a lot of social breakdown, um, marriages, families yep. break down regularly. Uh, your community starts to judge you. You feel judged. Yep workplace becomes a, a very uh, toxic uh, relationship often. Uh, and so all these things uh, just feed back into the monster. And, yeah. uh, and,
0: and you're less and able to cope too. I mean, like yeah. when when you're in pain, you're irritable, shitty. You're, you're not a nice person to be around. You know, I'm not. <laughs> when I'm in pain, it's like I'm a bear with a sore tooth, you know, literally. Um and that you know, then the other people suffer. Your family members suffer. Your colleagues suffer because you're not on your A game, and you're, you know, you're taking it out on them if you're not, you know, handling it well. Um, and so these are all conversations. And I think you know the fact that it's not a sexy topic is, is it should be because it's one that hits so many people. And in fact, will hit us all at some point in our lives. We're all going to have some sort of pain to, to deal with. Um, and if there's ways that we can learn to to cope with it better. That aren't medical, you know, medications. Because yes, we've got that to to fall back on, but it really should be a fallback option, not a not a thing that you want to do for long, and not the only option. What's your take then on things like um, meditation and things that are going to calm the nervous system and, you know, stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system state and all of that sort of good stuff? Do you think this has a a role to play in this this program of dealing, you know, um, the things that you can do that are in your toolbox to deal with pain?
1: Yeah, look, these things are pivotal. and The, the great thing is that they're not, um, that they're quite mainstream now. Um, I'm at least pleased that the medical profession, at least here in Australia, uh, has taken these, the, uh, has taken these things on as mainstream interventions. They're absolutely pivotal in, in readapt, what I call readaptive programs to get people back. Um, um and, uh, you know, I, I even know there's an orthopedic surgeon in Melbourne who, gets all his patients to do mindfulness before he operates on them, which I think is terrific. Wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. So, so it's starting to become quite mainstream. And, and look, it, again, if, 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 if we just keep conceptualizing pain as being related to physical injury and damage, then none of this makes sense. But, but if we understand pain as a protective me- mechanism and we have, we have to get people to, uh, to readapt both in terms of, um, you know, calming down the nervous system with these sorts of techniques. And there's a, a lot of different aspects there's cognitive behavioral therapy acceptance tra- acceptance therapy uh, and and what people will uh, what I find is that people relate to different things so some people one modality will be super beneficial and others it won't and so you have to find a I think an individualized program for people, which makes it a little bit hard because the medical system doesn't like that no. uh, individualization uh, yet, but I hope that'll change yeah um, so yeah, so I, I think things like that are really important. And then I, I come back to my 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 roots as a sports and exercise physician because exercise rehabilitation is really important. You've got to get people to understand that the pain they're feeling doesn't equal harm and and they need to progress through it. Now, wow. if, the, if the exercises hurt them, then that's a problem and we, we need to think about that and, and know how to address that. So we tend to have this program called a graded exposure program. But you can't sit around doing nothing. You can't keep protecting yourself from pain because that won't work. That'll just make you worse. So, uh, so to me, the answer is a program where you educate people, get them to understand how this all works. And that's not easy because everyone learns differently. Uh, but if you can achieve that, then that's the foundation. Then the next bit is to, is to use some of these psychological techniques, uh, uh talk therapies, I suppose we call them. To help um, give people practices to do, like meditation, mindfulness, yoga, all sorts of things, um, CBT, etc. And then, and then, I think the next, the next really important phase is is to get them to do exercise in a, in a way that's individualized for them. Uh, respect pain flares, but get people to understand how to manage them, and then and then gradually get people back to normal. The the mantra of the um, of the pain revolution is uh, to rethink, reengage, and recover. So, recovery is very much back on the table. Uh, one thing that happens in chronic pain, persistent pain, is that people, people very commonly get told based upon all the things we've been doing in the past, which really haven't been aligned with this type of uh, science, they get told that you have to learn to live with your pain. Yeah. Now, if you've got chronic pain and someone tells you you have to learn to live with your pain, that can help a lot of people. Don't get me wrong, because that's an acceptance thing and it might actually help them. But for a lot of people, uh, I, I think that that message is, is not, is not optimal. Okay. Because, because through things, these programs, through neuroplasticity, bioplasticity, which is that wonderful adaptability of the human, human body and brain, um, we We can get a lot of these people back, and so i i don 't like people believing that if it 's not necessary
0: yeah, and I totally agree with that, and i you know that's um I think that in general in the the medical world my my background, which you don 't know, but my Melissas and I, I had a mum with a massive brain injury from an aneurysm, and um you know we were told like she 'd never do anything she was in a not much over a vegetative state, aged seventy four um, massive brain damage, you know put her in a home, make her comfortable and um, for a start, I don't do comfortable because I think comfortable is, 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 is the way down. <laughs> and that life, you know, we need goals, we need to push through struggles, we need to, uh, you know, go through a certain amount of pain in order to come out the other side is my premise as, a, as an athlete, if you like. Um, and understand the benefits of going through, you know, like physical pain as far as training pain goes in order to get stronger. Right. So I understand that sort of principle in biology. And for me, it was like, no, no different. So with mum being told that she couldn't, you know, just accept it. Um, I didn't. And uh, it took me two and a half years and thousands of hours of research and retraining her brain and um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and everything else that everyone's heard me preach about on this show many times. Um But it took me two and a half years to get it back to full health again, like complete full health. And um, so I don't accept when someone says, you know, you can't do something or you just have to accept that this is your lot and that's the end of the road and this is all we can do. No, that just means that that doctor or that person doesn't know what else they can do. They don't know. And that's fine. Go and find someone else because someone else may have a different perspective on that. Go and research, find other ways around the obstacles rather than just going, oh, that's just me done, then that's all I've got, you know, because I think very often we're written off as that's, you know, that's the end of the road. And when you go to a doctor and they are the ones that went to medical school, they are the ones with the big brain, they are the ones with education, you tend to go, okay, they know what they're talking about and that's it to accept that whereas my, my thing is that maybe that person just doesn't know all of the things that are out there and maybe that person's super busy and they got 10 minutes to spend with you and they haven't got time to take you through a rehabilitation process. As you said, you know, with, with what you do, it's a education, it's rehab, it's all these things that are extremely time intensive. Now, most people in the standard medical care don't have time for that sort of thing or the resources. And so therefore it's up to us as individuals to start taking control and doing the research, finding people and doing this all ourselves to the best of our ability if we want to come out the other side. That's sort of the premise of this show and why I, I get to interview you know, amazing people like yourself that have pieces of the solution for, pe- for people and so that they can, um, oh, that's interesting. I might go and research what uh, Dr. Kel said there and go and visit his website and maybe that will help me. And that's, I think, a very empowering standpoint to come from rather than it's all over and there's no chance and you've got this.
1: Would you agree with that? At, largely, absolutely. I look, science is about questioning; it's not about accepting. I, I, I think, I, I think science is wonderful. I, I'm, um, uh, that that's really where I look to for answers. Mm, but me it's too. It's about, about questioning, not accepting. Uh, I think one of the problems that's happened in, um, in sort of mainstream medicine and perhaps the health industry to a large extent is that we've started to, um. Accept too much. We're not questioning enough. Um, so for example, um, if, if you go and see someone, they'll give you diagnostic comments and prognostic, which is like predictions of the future comments based upon things that were done previously. Okay. Hmm. Um, now I can tell you that in, in, in this field of medicine, and there's a lot of uh, crossovers to other areas of medicine too. This area the, the biopsychosocial model of care we call it and the, and the fundamental role of the of the brain and the nervous system in our biological processes hasn't been addressed anywhere near adequately in the last ten twenty thirty years um, so so the, the, so the, the the opinions that we offer and the, and the predictions we offer are based upon a whole uh, a whole period of time where we haven't been uh, recognising this incredibly important part of health.
0: Yes, totally agree. Okay?
1: Mm. So uh, it's not that it's. So I, I, I think you know, I think people do have to question and 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 look for, look for other possibilities. Now that that you've got to be a little bit careful with that too, because there are so many snake oil salesmen out oh, there. Oh so, God, yes, yeah. So I, I think the answer has to still be in science. Yes. Uh, but then you also have to know how to interpret the science because you know there's a lot of things in in the research that that are not not optimal there's conflicts of interest and all sorts of things so you have to be a little bit careful how you interpret that stuff uh so look look, this isn't easy to be honest but I, i think i think the key thing is to is to not give up hope keep questioning and and understand that that there are Things that can be achieved by harnessing this plasticity concept that we talk, that we're talking about, um, I think quite quite often, and I say this with a heavy heart, the people who do well in in things like pain or recovery from injuries are often the people who have elected not to listen to the to the <laughs> yeah. things they've been told, um, yeah. and yeah. they've just sort of fired ahead regardless. Yeah, and, uh, and that's, we, we that's know amazing. we know lots of. Yeah, we know of lots of examples like that. And your mother seems to be one as well. So Yeah.
0: Yeah, she is. And it's not a it's not a factor of like ignoring medical advice. That's not what I'm saying here. It's just going, go and get a second, third, fourth opinion, go and do some research, go and listen to some top podcasts, some professors, some and go to PubMed. And it, it isn't easy. It isn't easy. You know, like in uh in, in this journey with mum and, and on other journeys, because that's what I do now is help other people on their, you know, difficult health journeys and stuff and connecting people and so on. Um it isn't an easy thing, and i 've run up a number of dead ends you know and i 've wasted money and i 've you know gone down paths that lead nowhere but by the same token, there are a number that did lead to places that are not being um fully recognized you know like um things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, like for me, in my opinion, is like a totally underrated undervalued therapy that could be doing a heck of a lot more, but there 's no money in it there's no one 's going to be promoting it hugely as far as, you know, there's no pharmaceutical company behind it. They can't do anything with it in that sense. So it's always going to have a limited, so all I can do is bang my drum about it and teach about it and point to the doctors and the resources and the books and stuff, people that have had success with that. And I think it's the same with with pain and the whole pain. Well, we're starting to, to understand that neuroplasticity, that the brain and the body and the connection between the brain and the body has just an area that we need a lot more science in, and it's not always, you know, like a physical thing. Like what you going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. If someone comes to me and they've got a sore back, I'm, you know, you may be looking at the back situation, or you may be looking at what are their, what's their inflammation markers doing in their body, what's their gut health like is the fact that they've got a sore back, a signal that maybe the the, the nerves are not turned on. You know, can we activate? You know, this in other words, there's other directions to be looking in. It might not be a mechanical back issue. It could be something on the front end, the gut or the digestion or the whatever the case may be in that situation. So sometimes it's like looking outside what you normally would think is the, the problem area um is also a really good holistic so that holistic sort of a viewpoint. Let's not just look at the back pain. And this is another thing with, with medical the, the standard sort of medical system where the body is broken up into areas of specialties. And and, and, and and rightly so in a lot of ways, because you can't be an expert in lungs and heart and gut and and so on. But there needs to be more Connection between somebody who's looking at the whole, <laughs> the whole picture and piecing this all together for the person, because I mean the lungs and the heart, you know that's a really good example. They're very interconnected, but they're completely separate disciplines that don't really talk to each other. Um, and uh, and I think you know more integratedness in their approach would be would be good if that's a proper word. <laughs> all
1: right. I think it's integration. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look,
1: I, th- I think I think there's a lot in that as well. I, I think the key thing is that to try and avoid being too passive in your own health, um, because uh, reliance on on external fixes uh, can be a problem. And so, and but a lot can be achieved by by you know energy by lifestyle changes. Now, you know, these days, unfortunately, I think I think there's this trend towards outsourcing your problems rather than uh, Magic pill. With, I, I, I talk to my patients about the long game versus the short game and it's the it's the long game that wins um so yes try and be more active in your own in your own health um and uh yeah, yeah. and and uh, and and question and ask but but you know, I think we do need to put a little disclaimer here that there is, there is, there is need for caution here as well. Like I said before, because there are a lot of now, now some of those treatments, I think fall into what, what is, you know, commonly called the placebo category, which I, to me, it's, it's a fat, that's a fascinating area of neurobiology, just the whole, the way that the placebo, um, construct operates and mm. it's not it's not you, don't, you it's like if for people who do, don't understand it's like when you get the sugar tablets got nothing no properties on yet you still get the same response as if you had the real tablet mm. fascinating so, but it's the expectation and the belief that that dictates that response which again comes right back to the neurobiology and the role of the brain um it's not the, ta- the sugar tablet that does that um so you know, I, th- I think some of these things operate through a placebo construct. Now, I, I I have no problem with the placebo. I think it's fantastic. In fact, there's some fascinating uh, work being done in that area about how we should harness that in, mm. in a in a constructive way. But there are safety issues with with the placebo construct approach. So, uh, for example, if you keep if you keep resorting to that approach, then it, it the benefits wane with repetition and time. And then what happens is you tend to go to a more aggressive uh, type of intervention and perhaps more dangers. Uh, and so that that can be a problem in that direction. Mm-hmm. There's some fascinating research in the last 10 or 15 years which is showing us that some of the very common surgeries that we've been using or we've been thinking are, are incredibly effective uh, have had no, when they've been looked at against a fake surgery comparison mm-hmm. and these things are done, uh, then the, the results were exactly the same. So yep. same even surgery, in the knees and yeah even mm-hmm. knee arthroscopy is one. Yep. And there's others as well. Uh, so you know even surgery can fit into this placebo construct and and I don't think anyone would would think that surgery is entirely safe. So um, you know, we, we've got to be careful with that, with that type of approach. So I think again, I think we do need to apply really, really good quality scientific approaches to this and get the data out. Yep. And understand what what works directly and what works indirectly, and and the benefits and the safety problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and I think uh, unfortunately this means that the um, the the patient or the person with with the problem has to really be quite active in their own management.
0: Yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from all this is, yeah, we, we, I think we grow up with this mentality. When you're sick, you go to the doctor, you get a pill, and you get come right, and that that mentality is just very, very flawed in the fact that it, it, is, it often takes work, it often takes a lifestyle interventions, which, to, to quote you, is a very unsexy thing to be, for me to tell you to go and do some more exercise and eat less fish and chips. Um, you, you're like, like, I don't want to do that. Just give me the pill to fix it, is is often the, the the answer. And it's not that, you know, no amount of um just taking a pill you know is it's not getting to the, the the core of the problem, depending on what the, the situation is, obviously. But lifestyle interventions and behavioral changes are things that we should be grabbing to first before we resort to the more, you know, medications and things where we appropriate. And that's a conversation that needs to be had. It isn't just about, you know, going to the doctor because people sort of, I think too, expect to get a prescription when they come away from the doctor. If I didn't get a prescription, then that was a waste of time. I went to the doctor, I paid him X amount of dollars and I didn't get a prescription, I got told to do some more exercise and lose some weight or eat better, um, go to sleep earlier. Um, you know, and it's like Well, where's my pill? <laughs> approach, and and I think if people understood biology a little bit and understanding why that may help your back pain or your whatever the case is, um, you know that'll be a better conversation. If I can just flip and just say, well, what do you do? So then at the pain revolution, what if someone is dealing with chronic long term pain who's listening to this? You know, how can they come to you, get get support, get help around this education process, and this? You know, what exactly is it that you do there?
1: Yeah, look, that's that's obviously the pivotal question. Uh, The pain revolution approach uh, is pretty much along the lines of what I was talking about before. That the first the first thing is to really understand how this all works, Uh, and and that that is a major challenge because one of the biggest uh, things that we've looked at is how people learn because everyone learns differently. So that is actually a, a really big conversation, the whole conversation about education and and, and health literacy, pain literacy. Uh, but um, unless you can achieve that to a certain extent, the rest becomes very difficult. Um, mm. So that's important. Um so the rethink part of the mantra of rethink reengage recover is really really important. Now to do that um the the person who who started the pain revolutions a fellow called Laura Mosley, professor Laura Mamosley he oh, he wrote Yes I know. Have you heard of him? Yes yes. Him You should get him on your podcast one day.
0: Oh, do you know him? Can you hook me up?
1: (laughs) I do know him. I can can inquire, but he's a lot more entertaining than I am and (laughs) certainly a lot lot better at this um, at explaining it. But he wrote a book called Explain Pain with another fellow called Dave Butler. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's also an excellent person. Um, and, And so Lorimer just wanted to do something practical uh, to create a, a, a program that, that people could harness. And so he came up with the idea of the pain revolution. Uh, I got on board very early. It started, it's, we did an, we do an annual outreach event, which is a cycling tour. And we, we go and give presentations in all different country towns along the way. Wow. And this year, of course, we couldn't do it because of COVID. Um, we're doing an online thing, which is starting in October. Um, and it's all about raising funds for this program, which is um, to, um, there's a course, a two-year course for what we call local pain educators, where we take people from all sorts of disciplines, um, doctors, uh, physios, psychologists, occupational therapists, pharmacists, there's probably a few more that I haven't mentioned, um, and anyone who's interested gets on this program goes through the program with mentors and and comes out the other end and and then that the next wave is what we call a local pain collective where those people start to talk to the other people in their communities uh, health health professionals people with pain and so this we're hoping to create wow. a ripple of now we're only about four or five years into this and so it's got a long way to run but it really is is starting to um, gain gain ground and, and I'm very proud of it. Um, it, it, it's very much, much focused on non-interventional techniques. It's not to say that, that pharmacies and interventions don't have a role, but I think that high reliance on those things to create an outcome isn't working for us. No. And in fact, it's, it's creating a whole lot of other issues. So this is very much uh, focused on a neuroplasticity type approach, um, a readaptive program to get people back to normal as much as possible. Um, now, The structure of that, I think, as I said before, can vary from person to person. So I think I encourage people to explore all the different resources. There's website resources. Uh, There's certain programs that have come out of the pain revolution. I'm involved with a few of them. Uh, um, I'm involved with one called Brain Changer, which has a website as well, which is a, a program put together by a lady called Tina McIntosh, who is a recovered persistent pain, chronic pain person herself. And she's put together an app and a, a, a computerized program to help people practically. Wow. Wow. And again, there's some pain coaches in that. There's one not, I have only been involved with in, in, in a in a sort of advisory capacity called Permission to Move uh, by a fellow called Dave Moen, who's also got some terrific uh, approaches and, and some website resources. And I've just noticed this is exploding, which is really encouraging. Because when I started doing this, I felt like a lone voice in the wilderness, but but now there's so many terrific programs coming out all over the world uh, along this direction. And it's all about empowering people and, and, and getting people to start mapping out their own recoveries.
0: This is just marvellous. And I just love this sort of approach, you know, that I think, yeah, pharmaceutical interventions when they're required, but not just relying on that. And let's re-educate and retrain and, and, and help with other things, so, that, so that's fantastic. So I hope that um, lots of people will go and visit, um, and I'll get all of the links from you to all of those that you've mentioned, perhaps, and, and we can put those in the show notes to help further um, this conversation and to give people because there's so many people suffering various levels of, of persistent chronic pain with different disabilities that are, you know and it wrecks your life, you know, it does. It just takes away your joy from living, and uh, if we can help people with this conversation. To today, I think, you know, get people interested and perhaps this is something for me that could help me with my journey. Um, And also in the education space, and this is what, you know, I'm passionate about, educating people about the different areas. And so, you know, it's been marvellous to have you on the show, Cal. I think, um, you know, I'm really, really grateful for our mutual friend, Craig Harper, for uh, introducing us. Shout out to Craig. Um, And, you know, just really grateful for your time and your passion that you're bringing to this because, you know, there's lots of people suffering out there and if we can help them in any way, that's really, really important. So any any last words before we wrap up there, Cowan that you want people to, to think about or to do?
1: Oh, last words. These, these are supposed to be really wise words, aren't they? To... <laughs>
0: you always put people on the spot in the end, you know. It's like, oh, I just told you a whole <laughs> hour of stuff. <laughs> uh,
1: look, I, I just think, just reiterating uh, that there's there's real potential for recovery now. Uh now, you know, certainly there are some conditions which are exceptions and we have to respect that, but, but you know, to the, to the great majority of people in chronic pain uh, from musculoskeletal issues like bad backs, bad necks, various injuries they've had, there's enormous potential uh, for, for recovery. Uh, if, if, all, if all these things that we see on scans were painful, I've got to tell you we'd all be in agony. The reality is that wow. most of them are well adapted and so um and and there wouldn't be uh, things like sport if 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 that if if there was a linear relationship between body damage and pain we wouldn't we wouldn't have things like sport because we'd all be in too much agony wow so the the reality is that the vast majority of these things are well adapted, and that's what you should aim for if you've got an injury if you've got a problem, uh, you just need to create that adaptation pathway for yourself which doesn't just involve the injury the injury. Can do that, we know it can do that, but it also involves uh, the, the, the neurological system, the brain, and and that is where all these types of um, uh, aspects come into play.
0: Uh, that's absolutely wonderful, Dr. Calfrey. You've been amazing today. Thank you so much for your time, and I really, really appreciate the work.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, asking me to come on.
0: That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.